1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Fancy Bear and Sandworm are launching cyber espionage campaigns against European governments before the EU parliamentary elections. The Fin7 cybercrime group is still active, and it's using new malware. A scammer stole more than $100 million from Google and Facebook. Facebook stored hundreds of millions of passwords in plain text for years. And chatbots can learn to impersonate you based on your texts. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 21st, 2019. Two Russian APT groups are targeting European NATO member states with ongoing cyber espionage campaigns ahead of the EU parliamentary elections in May. Researchers at FireEye observed both large-scale and highly targeted phishing operations launched by Sandworm and APT-28 against European government institutions with the goal of stealing credentials. Sandworm is the group believed to be responsible for the 2017 NotPetya attacks. APT28, also known as Fancy Bear, was one of the threat actors that hacked the Democratic National Committee in 2016. FireEye says their efforts seem to be coordinated, although the two groups use different tools and techniques. Sandworm prefers publicly available hacking tools, while APT28 leans toward custom-made malware and zero-day exploits. The campaigns are believed to have three primary objectives. The first is stealing information and credentials for use in future attacks. The second is gathering intelligence to give Russia a diplomatic advantage. The third is collecting data to assist in information operations. FireEye didn't specify which organizations were targeted or whether or not the attackers got their hands on sensitive data, but it did say that attack campaigns of this size are generally successful. It's not clear if these campaigns are directly focused on influencing Europe's upcoming elections, or if they're part of a more general cyber-espionage operation. FireEye thinks it's safe to assume, however, that European voting systems and political parties are very tempting targets for Russian intelligence. CNBC notes that FireEye's findings are in line with an announcement from Microsoft last month, in which Microsoft warned that APT28 was launching phishing attacks against European think tanks and nonprofit organizations. At a leaders' summit taking place in Brussels today and tomorrow, European Union leaders are expected to urge governments to do more to protect the upcoming elections against coordinated information operations by foreign powers. The Fin7 cybercrime group is still active, despite the arrests of several of its members last year. Flashpoint says the group is using two new strains of malware, which researchers have dubbed SQL Rat and DNS Bot. The criminals are also using a new attack panel called Astra, which acts as a script management system that can push scripts to compromised computers. When an employee leaves your company, what kind of information are they allowed to take with them? Their contacts list? Samples of code they've written? Researchers at data loss prevention company Code 42 have discovered there's a surprising disconnect between what employers and employees think they're entitled to. J.D. Hansen is CISO and VP of the Information Technology Team at Code42.
0: You know, when you think of insider threat, there's two camps: the malicious and then the the non malicious. Certainly, there's there's issues that happen that result from both. Um, in my opinion, we're seeing more and more happen um, on the malicious side than we have before. Um, and as you know, I, as our defenses and security grow stronger, I I feel like we're going to see more and more malicious behavior internal to companies. We recently did a study about just taking data outside of companies and the response for those that feel entitled to the data that they create while they're at a company was astounding. We had, you know, over 72% of the CEOs that we interviewed um, admit that they were taking data external to the company that they were working for.
1: And and what what do you mean by that? What, What sort of data were they taking?
0: So any of the data that you create while you're at a company is effectively property of that company. We shouldn't be grabbing all the data that we have when we're working at a company and putting it on a USB, driving and taking it to a competitor or to our next position. Um, and what we found through this survey was that a lot of the people that left companies were taking their data with them, what they thought was their data, um, because they felt like this entitlement to the data that they created. And this was at, you know, this was at every level from the entry level analyst all the way to the CEO.
1: And do you think there's any failure on the part of the company here to really be clear about what is off limits?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I do and I don't. Certainly, I think there's like a, a level that companies have to communicate what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, That that goes beyond even just a data movement. It's it's all sorts of different security policies. But then there's also an element where if employees knew you were watching what they took and what they put on USB drives, they wouldn't do it. Um, They wouldn't move the the data as often as they do now. I've led a number of different insider threat programs, and um, one of them that we led, we we were pretty quiet about what we were monitoring and the results of that one were people would take all sorts of information. And when we would follow up with legal notice or um, some sort of follow up to say we saw something, what was going on, um, the reaction was almost surprise. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were watching and I'm sorry. And let me delete it. Versus, When you're really, really transparent about what you're doing and what you're watching and you tell employees, you know, you can't move IP, you can only move personal information, the volume of what employees take certainly goes down. Employees that are acting maliciously still do take data. So let's
1: talk a little bit about um breach fatigue. I mean do do you suppose that uh all this this endless um, news reporting of one breach after another is that a barrier to effective insider threat defense?
0: Yeah, and I think even broader. If you think about what's going on within the cybersecurity industry, every single year we outpace the previous year for number of like records compromised. And in the same sense, the amount of money that we're spending on response to breaches is going down. So, you know, year over year, 17 to 18, we were down 10% in terms of the response dollars that were spent. You know, you can read into that, but you know, my, my read is that we're spending less on their response. meaning we're falling victim of this like breach fatigue issue. And if you think through it, like the giant breaches that hit in 2011 were what was talked about forever and were such a big deal. And now you wake up to a headline of some sort of company being breached almost every day. It's interesting to me, but I, I do think like the consumer and businesses are getting more immune to this, this news story. And when that happens, you get less investment and less focus on it. And it's almost like certain companies are are giving up on protecting it to the extent that they should um, and doing the bare minimum, which is a very scary spot to be in from a cybersecurity perspective.
1: That's J.D. Hansen from Code42. Facebook stored hundreds of millions of users' passwords in plain text within a database that was searchable by 20,000 Facebook employees, Brian Krebs reported this morning. The issue was discovered in January when a security team was reviewing some new code and noticed that the code was logging passwords in plain text. The team launched a wider investigation to find other places where this was happening, and the company is still in the process of determining the extent of the problem. Krebs spoke with an anonymous senior Facebook employee who said between 200 and 600 million Facebook users may have been affected, dating back to 2012. Facebook partially confirmed the report in a blog post earlier today, saying that it plans to notify hundreds of millions of Facebook Lite users, tens of millions of other Facebook users, and tens of thousands of Instagram users that their passwords were being stored in a readable format within the company's internal data storage systems. Facebook Lite is a version of Facebook designed for areas with low internet speed and expensive bandwidth. Facebook emphasized that, quote, passwords were never visible to anyone outside of Facebook, end quote, and the investigation has, quote, found no evidence to date that anyone internally abused or improperly accessed them, end quote. The Irish Data Protection Commission, which has jurisdiction over Facebook's European headquarters under GDPR, said it was notified by Facebook and it's currently seeking further information. A Lithuanian man pleaded guilty in a New York court yesterday to scamming Facebook and Google out of $123 million over the course of three years. The man registered a company in Latvia that shared a name with a legitimate computer hardware manufacturer based in Asia. He then used a variety of fraudulent invoices and contracts to trick Facebook and Google employees into wiring him millions of dollars at a time. Facebook is said to have lost $100 million from the scams. Google lost $23 million. Finally, the register notes that a machine learning engineer has created a bot that can learn to impersonate someone based on text samples of their conversations. The bot was based on research published last month by the artificial intelligence research organization OpenAI. OpenAI said it had developed a language model capable of advanced tasks, such as generating coherent paragraphs of text, without task-specific training. OpenAI withheld most of the software from the public, however, fearing that it would be abused to create what the register calls the equivalent of deepfake videos for the written word. Using the limited amount of research that was released, however, The engineer was able to develop a bot that can impersonate you by learning from your messages in Facebook Messenger. This particular bot is fairly rudimentary, but its developer warns that it wasn't difficult to make, and he expects to see more sophisticated versions of this technology being used for malicious purposes very soon. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, always great to have you back. Um, We saw an interesting article over on the Lawfare blog, and this had to do with uh, Section 215 and uh, some whispers about some potential changes here. What's going on?
2: Yeah, so Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act is the provision uh, that we found out allows for the government to collect nearly all domestic phone records. Uh, as part of a national security surveillance program. If you'll recall, this is one of the programs revealed in the 2013 Edward Stone disclosures. Under those disclosures, we found out that most of the major telecommunications companies were routinely handing over metadata, so information on who made a phone call, who received the phone call, and the duration of the call over to the NSA, and uh, they were holding those records for over five years. Obviously, that caused major uh, major controversy, particularly among privacy advocates. So Congress amended the law in 2015. The way that law works under what's called the USA Freedom Act is that the telecommunications companies themselves now hold those call detail records. And the government has to obtain a warrant from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to access those records. Hmm. Now uh, – that program is up for reauthorization at the end of this calendar year. And there have been whispers from staffers on Capitol Hill on the relevant intelligence committees saying that it's possible not only that the program will not be reauthorized, but that the National Security Agency and other elements within the federal government are no longer using the call detail records program at all. Hmm. Um, Part of that stems from an announcement the NSA made almost a year ago, where they said that because a bunch of phone records were not authorized to be obtained and were uh, obtained by the National Security Agency, the NSA had to scrub up to five years worth of CDR, call detail records, uh, data. Uh, Now, they didn't make any announcement at the time that they were suspending collection under that program. But this has fed whispers that Um, The program is dysfunctional. It's too much of a legal headache. It exposes our government to legal liability and controversy. And it's frankly ineffective. Um, The government's Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board under President Obama wrote in in a detailed report in 2014 that this program hasn't really done anything to stop terrorist attacks. And frankly, and this is something the Lawfare blog article mentions, the technology has changed, hmm. and not only has the technology changed, uh, but the terrorist organizations that we need to monitor to protect our national security themselves have changed. Al Qaeda was a very top-down uh, run organization; you could d- draw connections uh, between low-level individuals and, you know, whether they were connected to the high-level Al Qaeda apparatus through These phone records through uh, figuring out who these people made phone calls to. Much more difficult in the current era. Uh, ISIS in particular has much less of a top-down structure. It's far more disorganized. Um, It's uh, composed of smaller factions. And uh, terrorists have adopted the technology themselves. They're using encrypted apps, messaging services, rather than just making uh, phone calls. So As a result, uh, the program, I think, has has perhaps run its course in terms of its effectiveness. And because it has become so controversial and has subjected our government to lawsuits and and controversy, I think there's a good chance that by the end of 2019, we may get the definitive end of the call detail records program.
1: Hmm, That's interesting. So uh, I suppose uh, folks on the uh, civil liberties side would uh, take this as a win, regardless of how it comes.
2: Absolutely. Now, of course, they would warn us that um, these are so far just the murmurs of congressional staff. I think one of them was quoted in, in an obscure article, and this kind of became fodder for the uh, national security surveillance community online. Um, there was excitement that this finally might be the death knell for um, the call detail records program, and there are obviously other programs conducted under the authority of the NSA that are that are controversial, but this was one that really stuck out. Um, in the post-Snowden freakout we all had over uh, government surveillance. So, yeah, no matter how it ends, I think it would definitely be considered a victory for, for civil liberties advocates.
1: Hmm. All right. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers...